five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. That was the uh, that was the Doobie Brothers. Here, let me do this. It should be better. Can you go up there? Come on, come on. Here we go. What's happening, everybody? Good morning. I think that might have been the uh, that might have been like some kind of like techno or dance mix or something. There was like a sequencer going on in the background. Could you hear that? Anyway, I don't know what prompted me to play that song, but it was in my head when I woke up this morning. And uh, we are on that long train running um, into the future and into nowhere because it's all here right now. Uh, the whole idea that uh, we, we are on some sort of journey of progress or change uh, is an absurd one. In a lot of ways, because, well, where has progress and change brought us? <laughs> what destination has it has it brought us to? One where a lot of people aren't real happy. I've been watching a lot of these videos of uh, people that uh, sleep in hotel capsules in Japan. Like, there's a lot of these videos of uh, people that they sleep in these little uh, pods like they have internet cafes sometimes they have hotels with the pods um, but they also sleep in their little bus experience usually from tokyo to osaka um, or they take a ferry from uh like kyoto to hokkaido right and then they have uh, like two nights where they have their 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 room and they get to hang out in their room and and they're all the same and they could all be done by a different person but they're all the same you never hear them talk all you see are subtitles usually the language that you speak in because you get to make a, a choice right and it's all the same all the videos if you see three of these videos you've seen them all Every now and then, one of the guys has kind of a wry sense of humor, but it's always about showing off the amenities of the thing that they're experiencing, whatever the amenities are, and lots of food. They're very into food. They're always showing off the food that they eat. And what's really interesting is I started watching these videos uh, on the weekend, on Saturday. They started showing because I watch travel videos. Um, and they started showing up on my feed. I'm like, oh, well, let me watch some of these Japanese travel videos. 
and I thought they were interesting for for a while because they're very kind of meditative, contemplative. Some of them go through these long walks in Japan, um, and you notice just how different things are. Like, there's no trash on the ground. There's no homeless people. It's like wow, what an interesting concept for a city, right? And there are some, you know, there are some older parts and, you know, some rundown parts of Tokyo, but they're not terrible by any stretch. So I'm watching all these Japanese videos on Saturday and I started texting with Masaki. I don't know where Masaki is. And I started texting him about all these Japanese videos I'm watching and uh, how interesting they are and, and how and really, I was amazed because they would put up the prices for the meals. I was amazed at how cheap the food was. And I was also amazed that you could go into a 7-Eleven, which is really big uh, in Japan. You go into a 7-Eleven, and you could actually eat pretty well at a 7-Eleven, unlike here. So then Masaki starts texting me back, and he's telling me he's in Japan. And he's telling me about how good the food is and how cheap it is. And I'm like, this is just fucking weird, right? Like we're having this non-local connection where all of a sudden I'm just picking up on these Japanese videos and travel and the food. And that's exactly where Masaki is. So he, he started to send me some, uh, some images back and um, it was a, it was a trip. It was like, we were we were just sort of in this um time space sink and i was kind of with him even though i wasn't with him very you know when, when stuff like that happens it really gives me hope for our experience as um third dimensional beings because those things are unexplainable like why all of a sudden because those things are showing up on my feed i could have watched one but i kept watching one after the other after the other after the other and i kept coming to these conclusions about the culture and how clean, simple, um, and affordable, especially the food side. I was, I was really surprised about that. And there are some of these hotels with these pods and capsules where you can eat and drink for free. And so it's just built into the cost of your, your little chrysalis. And you can drink, uh, apparently alcohol is is free too it's part of the part of the deal part of the menu so we have a lot to talk about thanks for being here a little late uh today we had a, a little uh election watch party last night for uh the members and even some of the subscribers were able to jump in and it was cool there was probably at the max maybe about 22 of us and we were hanging out and we were watching the election results it was great it was great seeing faces last night. It was great to see Sony's face. Um, of course, a lot of the a lot of the regulars were there, but we had uh, Trish was there, and um, it was it was cool. It was great, um, and so we started around five, uh, and the results began to pour in just before we we signed off, and we'll cover some of the some of the uh, supposed results today, and try to cover some of that ground it looks like it's going to be just about the same right 
with some with some upsets. It looks like Lauren Boebert is going to lose her seat. Um, and there are a lot of people who are going to be upset about that because she's been a pretty outspoken uh, critic of the so-called left and you know made this transition from being a, a restaurant owner. I think she still owns a restaurant. Uh, to being a congresswoman, but it looks like she might be a, a one and done. Here in Texas, of course, the pedophile lost, and we're all happy about that. We're not that we're thrilled that Greg Abbott is the governor because Greg Abbott, uh, even the Republicans here don't even like Greg Abbott. It's kind of like we'll vote for you, but we really don't have much choice. It's you or the giant leprechaun. Uh, so we'll vote for you. And I'm hoping, I, I, didn't, I don't even know if I'll still be in the state the next time Abbott runs or be around or whatever, right? But if he does run, if, I think I think he runs into term limit the next time. I think, I think he's got, I think there's a three-term limit in Texas. I could be wrong. I am new to the state still relatively. I came here in 2012. So a decade um yeah it was a decade in october i came here in october of 2012 when the giants were on their way to winning another world series so 10 years in the state of texas it's a long time that's uh, a sixth of my life so but i wouldn't even call myself a texan at this point even though i've been here that long i don't know how long you i i, I don't even know how long you have to be I guess you have to be born here really to be a Texan. That's what I think. I don't know what I am. I think I'm probably more Californian at heart. I, I do have a soft spot in my heart for California, uh, which unfortunately is governed by an even bigger piece of shit than the governor of Texas. And uh, probably in the hands and clutches of the, the old Chinese. That's uh, That's my two cents around it. All right. Let's get into some sponsorship. Uh, let's get into a little meet and greet with Chad Tari. If you're listening on the podcast side of things, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, do you want to know why I was running late? I was the lo- I was the long train running late. It's because dun, 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 the gummies are back in town. I wish I could do like a thin Lizzie parody on that the gummies are back the gummies are back by the way i'm going to make a case at some point for the doobie brothers being the uh greatest american rock band i don't think it's too far of a stretch to make that claim I think they're better than the Eagles. Why? Question mark. Because they made more records. Number two, they changed genres. Like how many bands change genres really and become even more successful than they were? Not many. Like they'd be asked, they'd be like, um, oh, hey, Steely Dan, why don't you become a new wave band? Donald, why don't you start doing music like the Cars in Blondie? 
No. No. Couldn't do it. But the Doobie Brothers go from, you know, this kind of funky, rocking, you know, bluesy, you know, bar band with great harmonies, by the way, underrated harmonies. And then Tom Johnson gets sick and Michael Jack, Mike, Michael Jackson, Michael McDonald. Could you imagine Michael Jackson's the Doobie brother? That would have been crazy. Anyway, Michael McDonald, probably a close second or third to Michael Jackson without the moves, uh, jumps on board the Doobie Brother Express along with uh, Jeff Baxter. And they become this different band. They become this soulful, funky you know, the the beat and the pulse and the heart of Yacht Rock. And they have like these two distinct, very successful careers. And I don't think any other band in American, I mean, maybe Chicago, but Chicago's version of Doobie Brothers kind of take on Yacht or whatever that was is lame. It's fucking lame ass. It's Peter Cetera and David Foster just basically hijacking the band. Chicago, up until the death of Terry Kath, was a great band. It was one of the great American rock bands. But not as good as the Doobie Brothers. I don't think the Eagles are as good as the Doobie Brothers. Who does that leave? Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. They're not even fucking American. They got a Brit and Canadian in that band. Allman Brothers, you could make a case for the Allman Brothers, except... Dwayne Allman died too soon, and the band is just littered with some very mediocre records. Um, they have Brothers brothers and Sisters, a great record, and it's kind of their post-Dwayne uh, Allman peak. I'll tell you who could, who could give the Doobie Brothers a run for their money as the great American. And I'm not even talking about the Beach Boys, because really the Beach Boys are relevant up until maybe the mid-70s. And after that, they just become kind of a cover version of themselves, which is hard to watch. But I think I think one of the great American rock bands is probably uh, Leonard Skinner. They didn't make one bad record, didn't make one bad song. You just listen to the entire catalog, I'm like, yep, 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 yep. But again, the output, not big enough. You can make a case for ZZ Top, Although there are people that are really down on the synthesizer version of ZZ Top, but again, they kind of reinvented themselves. They're they're in that conversation about bands that reinvent themselves and have a very different kind of sound. So ZZ Top's got to be in the mix right there with the Doobie Brothers. All right, let's talk about True Hemp Science. So one of the reasons why my long train running had a hard time pulling into the station was late to the station was uh the the old gummy the gummies are back in town i started to uh sing my gummy song but it's true and um i slept all the way through the night which is always a blessing right a p- uninterrupted sleep um i think i tapped out at around 11 30 and uh it was me and gummyville so they're there. They're back. If you have any issues sleeping, go to the gummy. Trust me on this. And of course, uh, as soon as the show's over today, I am I'm going to be 
shoveling some moon dust into my coffee because I was, I was behind this morning. And uh, today it's uh, instead of coffee, at least at this point, it's the old focus aid. So I've got some moon dust in my future. And Chris has a number of other things you can get as well. His CBD tinctures and vials are some of the best. He numbers them. So you remember the number, you remember what it's good for, the efficacy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll be there on Friday uh, at True Hemp Science Central in Austin doing a live stream, which will be a lot of fun and looking forward to that. Um, you spend $100, you'll get some free product. Everybody likes free product. Chris might throw in a little sampler gummies. How about that? All of a sudden you get to chew one of those bad boys at night and boom, boom, out go the lights. Uh, so then what else? Oh yeah. Spend $150 and you have free shipping. So if you're listening on the podcast, that's truehemscience.com backslash ref backslash 23, truehemscience.com backslash ref backslash 23. And just type in the code one five M I N S one five M I N S. And you will get all of your true hemp science gummy needs met fulfilled and then some if you get the uh the threshold right all right let's take a look at who's in Chattoria. and uh we'll do a little roll call here then we'll jump into the purple slosh we're going to talk more about rothschild than the elections although we'll cover the elections today let's see we got Michael. Hey, we didn't really see you, but um, you're on. You're on last night, and um, good to see your initials, DJMC. Kelly B, checking in. The birthday girl. All you Scorpio queens out there, the entire month. This is your month. This is your month. Just luxuriate in it. Queen Lisa is here. Uh, wakey, wakey! Time to polish up the pitchforks. Yes. Uh, great seeing Sony last night. Sony looking good, by the way. What a, you know, you know a term I would use for Sony? Classy lady. Classy lady. Reminds me of the that song, it's the Isley Brothers. Who's that lady? Who's that lady? Classy lady. It's Sony. Uh, Ryan. I don't know what's going on in Pennsylvania, but we'll find out here pretty quickly. Wendy says the beautiful one. The beautiful one is here. Uh, let's see. Biden Fetterman. <laughs> Could you imagine, Michael, that's fucking hilarious. Could you imagine a conversation between Biden and Fetterman? Uh... <laughs> Oh my God! The disability ticket. The the <laughs> they when are they going to change the fucking name from disability too? That's just a bad. I mean, there's this whole thing of ableism, right? Like, like if you don't think that the Fetterman can do his job, you're an you're an ableist. Come up with a different name. In fact. In major league sports, they used to have something called the disabled list. They had to change it to the injured list. 
that's how bad fucking wokest language has become in our lexicon. Here's my man, Tom. What's going on, Tom? Huckabuck, another day behind the blue curtain. Illinois, nothing really changes there, does it? Uh, the train just keeps on running. Rocky, good morning, Rocky. Tondar. Tondar's here. The proud parent, the proud bleary-eyed parent. Uh, let's see, Biden Fetterman ticket. That is so funny. That is the line of the day, Michael. Excellent. Red wave seems like a red fizzle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Sophia, what's going on, Anna? Oh, she loves this song. It's a good song. If voting made a difference, they would let us do it. Mark Twain would know, but he was an insider. Big time. Like we didn't see it coming, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems to be that there is a kind of a selective, like, oh, yeah, we'll, 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 give, we'll give Texas Abbott. And there's no way that Anybody in Florida in their right mind is going to fucking lose. You know why? Because they had all those people that came down from New York who were basically conservative because they didn't like what was going on in New York. And now Florida's got all those votes. So DeSantis, Rubio, they're all, they're all uh, shoe-ins. There's a red house over yonder. That's funny. That's a funny line, um, just personally. Something I tweeted earlier on uh, Twitter. Maurice here on the Rothschild. I'm thinking the announced date was not the real date. So in that sense, it's politically timed, much like the Queen of England. It could be, but, you know, I was looking um, at some dates in Rothschild history. And Baron the first Baron de Rothschild was actually born on November 8th. Um, what was the year? Was it 19, 1910? Maybe a little bit before 1890. I'm gonna, we'll, we'll go, we're going to get into him today. And he's really the first Rothschild um, that attains a significant peerage. Not only that, but he is uh, the financier of World War One, so even though the 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 lineage of the Rothschilds starts with Meyer Amschel Rothschild, um, it is the first Baron de Rothschild that is the Rothschild of the modern era, um, the banker, the Daddy Warbucks, the financier of one side versus the other in the modern era. And I'll show you how much he did and how much was given to him um, as a result of his monetary privilege. So he was born on November 8th. And November 8th itself is a very interesting day historically. Uh, and then his, it's not his grandson, because when you look at the Rothschilds and their, their lineage and the, and the, offspring that come out of the Rothschilds some of them are really fucking weird and I'm going to show you some of the pictures of some of these Rothschilds like they look really bizarre like you can tell that there's inbreeding going on because they just look strange and 
And it's almost like they, if they have a male heir, they pluck the best. And when I say the best, the one that probably looks the most um, marketable. And then the rest are kind of like, yeah, you got the name. There's some things you can do for us, but you're not going to be in the foreground. So we'll look, we'll look at some of these characters who are very strange. Not the more famous Rothschilds, by the way. Um, but Evelyn de Rothschild is part of the line, but uh, Baron de Rothschild is like his great, great uncle. So he doesn't come straight from him, but it's kind of more like this. And he winds, he, so he dies on the same day that Baron de Rothschild is, is born. And I, whether you think it's a, a fixed date and um, this is the day they're going to announce it, that's everybody's entitled to their opinion. Um, and my opinion ha is more of a, this is a meta date. And I'll, I'll get into why I think these two characters one born on November 8th and one dying on November 8th is significant. All right, so let's go. Let's keep going here. Who else do we have? Um, do you think Carrie Lake is going to win Arizona? I don't think so. I talked about this when I looked at her chart and I said, she's going to have to let go of something extremely important to her. I don't think she's going to win, but this is what I said. It's going to take a while, six months out, I believe Carrie Lake will be vindicated. Whether or not they're going to recognize her gubernatorial status is another thing. Right? So I think Carrie Lake is going to lose. Um, I think you're going to see lawsuits uh, that are going to be grinding through the system. And this is all Mars. This is all Mars related. And when Mars hits a certain degree in her chart, I talked about this on the show two weeks ago, she'll be vindicated. But it's going to be so kind of far out that it, it may be irrelevant, like six months out. And they'll say, well, you know, six months has gone by and, uh, now she's actually the governor and you know it was a terrible mistake and uh we'll make sure it doesn't happen again that's my sense and but the thing with Carrie Lake is is that she's not going to go away she has to get through this Neptune Pluto opposition which in astrology is a very difficult time it happens around 53 54 and she'll be in a much better position if she wants to do something I mean, she'll be she'll be on somebody's ticket in 2024, because that's the other thing too. If she became governor of uh, Arizona, she would probably have to be. I don't know what their terms are if they're two years or four years, but if they're two years, and let's say Trump wants her to run with him, she'd be one and done, right? And as somebody who lives in Arizona, you would, I wouldn't say you would feel cheated. A lot of it would have to do with what she would do in two years. And we know that politically uh, two years is nothing unless of course you're a complete tyrant, in which case two years is plenty of time to get a lot done, which we've seen, even if it's uh, things that are undone. So 
I don't think she's going to win in the immediate. Um, I do think she'll be proven to be a winner later, but I'm not sure how much that's going to help her. You got got to remember that Katie Hobbs is in charge of counting the votes. Doesn't matter who votes matters on who count Florida. I think everything went the way they wanted it to. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, that raggedy old twat, she won. Ugh, so ugly. Kylie M. Hey, Kylie. Good to see you. Ryan chimes in. Um, <clears throat> Philadelphia County, 106,000 Democrat mail-in votes. Only 6,000 mail-in for Republicans. They need to ban mail-in voting sorry in person only absentee absentee voting no 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 tom says we should have a do-over on the 70s such great times for the most part i would agree julie sunshine is here uh yep you got gretchen uh whitler that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, let's see. The thing about the 70s TJ is yes on the surface, especially for the younger folks, pretty good. Don't forget the Vietnam lasts until 75. The auto industry. Yes, there were some there were some very dark, dark, dark parts of the 1970s. It was the disassembling of the um the the factory industrial production economy in the United States. By the time the 80s roll around, it's the service economy. Hey, we're into service now. We have service jobs. We don't have to do all of those risky, hard labor jobs that we used to do. All those people in all those other countries under filthy conditions and absolutely extreme poverty get to produce things and at an insanely cheap rate charging us almost as much as we were paying for really good American products. But now we get to take the phone calls when they break. All right. Uh, Nixon did the gold thingy. He had to. Nixon had to. Nixon had to do the gold. Nixon had to do that. <clears throat> he had to make the uh, the dollar, the, the petro reserve currency. Because of what Johnson had done. Johnson basically gutted. Once Johnson opened up um, the Great Society and the War on Poverty and all the entitlements, I mean, that's exactly what um, the liberals wanted him to do. And they were they were going to break the system. So in order to retain some form of economic hegemony, uh, Nixon did exactly what he did and tied the dollar to Saudi Arabia. And if you wanted to buy oil, you had to turn everything into dollars, which saved the dollar for a period of time. But now that's coming to an end too. So it, it was, he had to do that. Um, Scrubbies, what's going on? Good to see you last night, Tamara. Let's see, anybody else? Um, JMP Love, I just hate that kind of thinking. Um, I'm not sure what you're referring to. 
a decade for Texas. Thanks, JMP, for the correction. Lurch is the new PA senator. Oh, my God. It's, you know, we've been, it's the, the boiling frog. We're the boiling frog, and we see Fetterman, and we're like, well, is it is it all that weird? Is it all that strange? I mean, we've had two years of uh, President Depends, whoever or whatever that is. Uh, we've had two years of the hackling and cackling vice president who talks in circles now just to frustrate people and show show everybody that she's just babbling nonsense and she knows it and you know it and she doesn't give a fuck. Um, so we've had two years of that. We had four years of an all-out assault on a president like we've never seen before. We have um, transgendered uh, people in the cabinet at high level positions. Uh, we have a, a Haitian lesbian voodoo priestess as the uh, the uh, the daily press secretary. Why why would any of this shock anybody at this point? This is this is the freak show, and they've been taking America to the freak show. We're in the freak show now. And Fetterman is, he's like the circus geek. You know, the geek is when they had this guy who was so decrepit that he would bite the head off chickens. And I remember watching that movie as a kid with my father. I think, isn't Gary Cooper in the geek? Somebody well-known is in the geek. And it's one of those weird kind of Kafka-esque movies where the circus comes, comes to town and there's this deplorable character called the geek. And somebody is doing, I think he's a reporter, and he's doing this investigation on the geek and how the geek became the geek. And as he gets into the investigation, um, he finds how weird and how strange things are. And essentially, he, he, he learns how the geek became the geek and it undoes him. It completely undoes him. And at the end of the movie, he becomes the geek. Let me see if we can find the trailer for that. That'll be interesting. Doobie Brothers, long train run. I'm I'm putting my vote on the Doobie Brothers as the greatest American rock band of all time. Tyrone Power plays uh, the, I believe he's the investigative journalist. Uh, let's see, they've got the new version of the geek. Let's see. So you can find the old version. All right, here's a clip from the geek. Here it is.
Let's have a listen here. Job you can take a crack at. Of course, it isn't much, and I'm not begging you to take it, but it's a job. Yeah, well, that's all I want. And we'll keep you in coffee and cakes, bottle every day, place to sleep it off in. What do you say? Anyway, it's only temporary, just until we can get a real geek. Geek? You know what a geek is, don't you? Yeah. Sure, I, I know what a geek is. Do you think you can handle it? Mister, I was made for it. I might have a job you can take a crack at. So that's the end of the movie. And that's after uh, Tyrone Power had been investigating the geek in his life and what turned him into the geek. So John Fetterman is kind of like the modern version of the geek. Um, he's also a version of a racer head too. So he's, he's like this postmodern candidate who's propped up by drugs and technology. Like John Fetterman is really sort of the first transhumanist candidate in a lot of ways. Like he needs these, this technology um, in order to uh, interface with the public. And I would not be surprised if he goes through some sort of like neural link implant, like Elon Musk reaches out to him and says, Hey, how would you like to try this? And then, you know, two years from now, you know, John Fetterman is reciting the Gettysburg address with, without any hesitation um, or any any uh, any glitch in his program. I wouldn't be surprised that happens to him. And, uh, oh, yeah, you laughed at John Fetterman before, didn't you? Look at him now. Look at him now. He's doing pretty good now, isn't he? All right. Am I done here? Anybody else? Um, he's the geek. Hey, Catherine Kramer. It didn't, uh, the Doobie Brothers early period, my favorite. They're great. I think both periods are great. Saw the Doobies first time at Milwaukee Summerfest. The CTA is a great album. Chicago up to the death of Terry Kath was laying its claim. But, you know, those bands... Um, the one thing about the Doobie Brothers that, that really was kind of amazing was the fact that even though Tom Johnson, I think, probably was dealing with drugs and fatigue when he had to leave the band for a while, um, that was not a band that was ravaged by member death and drug use. I mean, clearly Chicago, Terry Kath is a casualty I mean, the, the Grateful Dead were flipping keyboard players like every five or six years. They kept losing their keyboard players. I mean, you know, members, members would, you know, drugs played a huge, huge role like, in the devastation of bands, right? Um, not the Doobie Brothers. They pretty much held it together. I'll tell you who's up there too for a great American rock band is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And I know a lot of people don't like Tom Petty, but I do. 
All right, let's take a quick look at what's going on with the, um, I think we have most of the election results. Let's see what happened. With, I think Lauren Boebert is out. Let's just take a quick peek on that. Um, so they haven't, they haven't made a call. It's too close to call. Uh, so that's hanging in the wind. Let me see what we have here with Lauren Boebert. This is Colorado Public Radio nine hours ago. Like they're scrapping for votes now. They're trying to find every single vote um, they can. And let's see what we have here. I'll give you guys a link or a view. Hardline conservative rep Lauren Bober is facing a tougher than expected re-election race with her Democratic challenger, Adam Frisch, holding a small lead all evening. Bober went into the race in a strong position, redistricting, solidified the third congressional district's red team with a nine-point advantage for Republicans. And unlike most of the Colorado delegation, she had the advantage of national name recognition and about $2 million in campaign cash. Talking to her supporters Tuesday evening, Bober said she was still waiting on same-day voting ballots to be counted. Still, while many votes remain to be counted, of those that have been tallied, she's been underperforming in many counties compared to the 2020 results. The Colorado Democratic Party, Morgan Carroll, said of Frisch, worked hard to build a coalition of normal across the lines in the district, party lines. He specifically courted all normal Republicans on the Western Slope, aggressively gone after the uh, unaffiliated vote, which is a majority vote in the district. And he reached out to the Democratic base early, but herself came to the office after scoring a surprise upset against Republican incumbent Scott Tipton. Uh, Democrats tried to remove her from committees. Uh, she suggested Democratic Representative Ilhan Omar was a terrorist. Meanwhile, Frisch, a former Aspen City Council member, has run a relatively conservative, Demo uh, conservative Democrat and has barnstormed all across the district to make his centrist pitch. This is one of the problems when you, you tie yourself to Trump. Um, even though I don't believe Trump is extreme at all. We know Trump is. He's an extreme personality. And this is one of the great three-card Montes of all time. He's an extreme personality. Are his policies extreme? Fuck no. If anything, his policies benefited the swamp more than any almost any other president. Yeah, he put a containment on the border wall. Yeah, we can... You know, he made that it, he made it more difficult because when the word was out that Trump was president, it was like, no, it's not it's not going to be easy. It's, it actually becomes a matter of economics, right? Like if it takes the coyotes uh, and the people smuggling people across the border more than it's worth for them, they're not going to do it. It's simply an economics game. So what happened? They just said, no, this is not going to work for us. Let's just wait. And once Biden came in, it's like, oh, 
this is easy. Now we got our now we get our profits back. It's all about profit and margin. A lot of this has very little to do with like ideology. I mean, of course, ideology enters into it, but even with, and I said this about Kyrie Irving, that the NBA and the uh, Brooklyn Nets were just protecting their brand. This They just wanted to make sure that people didn't stop going to the games or purchasing tickets. I mean, I think that's like at the top. Of course, um, they don't they don't want an uprising or a revolt uh, against the Khazarian mafia. That's too late, by the way. They're they're too late to the party on that now. But that's really what it comes down to. It's all about cost, effective, net gain or net loss. In the movie THX 1138, which I do think is probably George Lucas's best movie. It's his first, it's his first movie. And a lot of it is based on the idea of expenditure. And then once it becomes too expensive to continue to hunt somebody, track some somebody down, um, then the effort stops. It's like in a truly totalitarian society where they're looking at money as a byproduct of some kind of analytical model or scientific method. Once they go over budget, they're done. Um, and I think that there, there is some truth to that in how business works, especially with the border. Now, that's another thing that people aren't really addressing. I haven't heard anyone, of course, you'll, you'll hear it today, likely. They're not addressing how immigration might have affected this election. I mean, how many people have poured into this country over the last two years? Millions. Millions. Those are millions of votes. Those are millions of votes to stave off a red wave, right? You, you don't think that that was all part of the plan? They wouldn't have to cheat as much because they'd already brought in an army of voters. And all they have to do is send them to the states where you know, they don't need any identification. And, and some of those states are going to be more uh, blue than red, which will ensure that their blue candidates stay in. But some states like Colorado, you know, which are, you know, hanging in the balance, purple, red, purple, red, blood, blue, send them in, start cranking out the votes, right? And I mean, this is just another thing to think about is the onslaught of migration, um, which probably changed the balance of this election with, without a doubt, without a doubt. And that's, that's, that, that's like legal cheating. Okay, let's shift gears here a little bit. And um, the election stuff will play out. And, you know, it's just another day of drama. Um, but I wanted to get into um, the Rothschilds and the death of Evelyn de Rothschild. But in order to set the tone here um, in the frame for all of this, uh, we have to go back to Nathan Rothschild who is the first Baron Rothschild? So this is Nathan, the first Baron Rothschild. I'm going to read, this is just the, the Wikipedia bio. And I know Wikipedia is kind of lame, but it gives you 
and I enough background and enough salient talking points um, that we can build off of them. Nathaniel Meyer Rothschild, first Baron Rothschild, Baron de Rothschild, GCVOPC, born November 8th. Now, remember, that was the day yesterday that Evelyn de Rothschild died. So we have two November 8ths. Um, and then he died on March 31st, um, 1915. So 1840 to 1915. So he was 75 when he when he passed away, which is old for back then. You were 75 and you died. You were old. Was a British banker and politician from the wealthy international Rothschild family. Uh, Nathaniel Meyer Rothschild was the eldest son of Austrian Baron Lionel de Rothschild, 1808 to 1879, and Baroness Charlotte von Rothschild, nee von Rothschild. So they're marrying their cousins, essentially, because they want to stay uh, inside the family and keep them the money in the family. Uh, his paternal grandparents were Frere or Baron Nathan Meyer Rothschild, after whom he was named, and Hannah Nee Baron Cohen, Rothschild, the daughter of Levy Baron Cohen. His maternal grandparents were Frere Carl Meyer von Rothschild, 1788 to 1855, and Adelaide Hertz, 1800 to 1853. Through both of his grandfathers, who were brothers, he was the great-grandson of Meyer Amschel Rothschild, 1744 to 1812, founder of the dynasty. In his youth, Rothschild was a captain of the Buckinghamshire Yeomanry. Rothschild was educated at Trinity College, Cambridge, where he was friend of the Prince of Wales, later Edward VII, but left without taking a degree. So he's already commiserating and rubbing shoulders with British peerage. Rothschild worked as a partner in the London branch of the family bank of N.M. Rothschild and Sons and became the head of the bank after his father's death in 1879. During his tenure, he also maintained its preeminent position in private venture finance and issuing loans to the governments of the U.S., Russia, and Austria. So he's expanding, especially with the U.S., beyond the continental borders of Europe. Following the Rothschilds' funding of the Suez Canal, think about that. There's no Suez Canal without the Rothschilds. Why? Well, it suited their interests because it was going to be their ships that are going to be moving in and out of there. A close relationship was maintained with Benjamin Disraeli and affairs in Egypt because Disraeli was looking over Egypt. Rothschild also funded, this is a big player here now, he funded Cecil Rhodes in the development of British South Africa Company. Of course, Cecil Rhodes would split off and start his own colony and name it Rhodesia. And of course, we have the Rhodes Scholarship named after Cecil Rhodes. So I'll continue to read some of this. And he also funded the De Beers Diamond Conglomerate. So this Baron de Rothschild is probably in the 20, late 1800s, um, beginning of the 20th century. He's one of the most powerful men on the planet. And he's setting up 
these dynastic kinds of institutions and businesses where huge sums of money, power, influence uh, will be made. Okay, so um, he later administered Rhodes' estate after Rhodes' death in 1902 and helped set up the Rhodes Scholarship Scheme. That's an interesting term for it, isn't it? Scheme at the University of Oxford. So basically what the Rhodes Scholarship does is it targets young young people, brings them to Oxford, and they are trained in the um, plan, compact, and um, understanding, strategic understanding of the globalists and what their role in helping to create a global society is. And Bill Clinton was a Rhodes Scholar until he was kicked out for apparently raping somebody. And Chris Christopherson is a Rhodes Scholar, which I always thought was quite bizarre. But then when you read Kathy O'Brien, you realize that Chris Christopherson is also a handler. So it makes total sense. Um, there's more. He was a prominent member of the Roundtable Movement. Uh, the Roundtable Movement is huge. Right, the roundtable movement created in 1909. It almost becomes like a star chamber where the elite of the elite will meet, get together, and decide on the fate and fortune of places like Africa and Europe and even the United States. A noted philanthropist, Rothschild, was heavily involved with the foundation of the 4% Industrial Dwellings Company, a model dwellings company whose aim was to provide decent housing predominantly for the Jews of the Spitalfields and Whitechapel. Oh, so he was making sure that people from his own community were affordably and comfortably housed. How, what, what a noble man. What a noble, noble man. He also served as a trustee of the London Mosque Fund until his death. Isn't that interesting? The London Mosque Fund. And people think that uh, the Judaism and uh, Islam are inhabiting each other's throats for thousands of years. For the most part, that could be further from the truth. Like, they're very connected. Very, very connected. I don't want to get into how connected they are, but they are very connected. We'll do it on another show. From 1989 until his death, he was Lord Lieutenant of Buckinghamshire, as well as known as the uh, as a known agriculturist. In 1902, uh, in the 1902 Coronation Honors List, he was appointed Privy Councillor and was a sworn member of the Council of Buckingham Palace on 11 August 1902. Of course, August being in the sign of Leo, which is the sign of royalty, the Sun King and bloodline. from 1847, but have been able to take the obligatory oath until 1858. Uh, oh, that's about his brother, his father, rather. His father, Lion. Okay, so let me go back here. On the same day, he was appointed to the Royal Victorian Order as a Knight of the Grand Cross. So he's appointed Privy Counselor, and he's made a knight on the same day, August 11th, 1902. 
From 1865 to 1885, Nathan Rothschild sat in the House of Commons as a liberal member of parliament um, for Aylesbury. His father, Lionel, had previously been elected for the city of London from 1847, but had been unable to take the obligatory oath until 1858. They were MPs together from 1865 uh, to 1868, and then again from 1869 to 1874. In 1847, his uncle, Anthony Nathan de Rothschild, 1810-1876, was created first baronet de Rothschild of Tring Park. Since Sir Anthony had no, make, had no male heirs, his baronetcy passed on his death by special member to his nephew, Nathan. In 1885, Rothschild became a member of the House of Lords when he was created Baron Rothschild of Tring in the county of Hertford in the peerage of the United Kingdom. He was also Baron de Rothschild, Freyer von Rothschild in the Austrian Empire. So he's holding two titles of nobility, one in the Austrian Empire, which is related to the Habsburgs, and then the other... Um, which is the uh, British peerage uh, and the monarchy, which is uh, the queen, who are also German. Um, so let's keep going here. So he inherited that via his father. Uh, in 1838, Queen Victoria had authorized the use of this Austrian title in the United Kingdom. So he became Baron de Rothschild, right? Because there's Baron Rothschild and Baron of the Rothschilds. So it's like recognizing the house that he's from, or it has been equipped with title and peerage. When he was raised to the peerage by Gladstone, Rothschild was the first Jewish member of the House of Lords not to have previously converted to Christianity. So he became a member without becoming a Christian. This is very important. I believe it was Disraeli who had to, who had to um, uh, convert. Let's keep going here. Uh, let's see. It was, yeah, Disraeli. So Disraeli had been uh created Earl of Beaconsfield in 1876, but was baptized in, into Anglic, Anglicanism at the age of 12. So Disraeli switched teams. In common with the rest of his family, Rothschild joined the breakaway Liberal Unionist Party formed in 1886 by Joseph Chamberlain, which ultimately merged into the Conservative Party. In 1909, he was famously derided by the then the Chancellor Exchequer, David Lloyd George, over his opposition to the people's budget. When the letter said at a meeting at the Holborn restaurant on 24 June that year, I really think we're having too much Lord Rothschild. Are we to have all ways of reform, financial and social blocked? simply by a notice board, no thoroughfare by order of Nathaniel Rothschild. So Rothschild was not allowing any kind of uh, 
funding to go into things that theoretically might help the English people. So who do you think has the last laugh here? Rothschild recommended the Lords reject the Parliament Bill, which, however, was passed. In 1914, after the outbreak of World War I, Rothschild was consulted for the economic advice by Lloyd George. So he had to come back to Rothschild because now he's in a fucking war. Oh, dear, dear Lord Rothschild, how shall we pay for this terrible engagement we're about to face with the Germans? Um, how, how are we supposed to pay for this? Of course, Rothschild's in the catbird seat. And what does he say to him? He says, tax the rich and tax them heavily. Right? Why, why does he want the rich to be taxed? Because the Rothschild's don't want any competition. So when you look at this guy, he's incredibly influential. Like this is one of the most influential scions of the Rothschild banking family and dynasty. You know, he's a top hat guy. And he is instrumental in creating, this is just the Wikipedia version. This, this is like the half a layer deep version. Okay. But you can see just by that brief thumbnail, how influential this guy is. Basically, he sets up the diamond trade with the De Beers family in South Africa. Sets up South Africa. Helps Cecil Rhodes start Rhodesia. Creates the Rhodes Scholarship. Starts funneling through everybody who meets their criterion, who will serve ultimately their, their globalist Rothschild agenda. And he's born on November 8th. So yesterday, on November 8th, Evelyn de Rothschild, who, along with his brother Nathan, um, is probably uh, the most powerful. Or now, you got to keep in mind, Evelyn de Rothschild was 91 years old. Okay? So he was no spring chicken. Whether, again... He died last week, two weeks ago, right? To me, the dates that count are those two November 8th dates. So why, do, why does it matter? Well, his son, Evan de Rothschild's son, is David de Rothschild. And if you've ever looked at David de Rothschild, he looks like, you know, the Rothschild's version of Jesus. And that's how he's comported himself right he looked he, he he's the rothschild that cares about the environment he's the rothschild that um has taken on uh you know plastic in the ocean and he he's the green rothschild right He's like he's like the Russell brand of the Rothschilds. Let me give you 
me give you some visuals here. So with the passing of his father, this is the guy that will take on the power and the glory of being the head of the Rothschild family. Here he is on his boat. Jesus, Neptune. Here he is looking very wildernessy. I guess it's him on his boat still. But you can see the brand, though. And some of it is, I think, probably real. Um, the guy's a Virgo, likes nature. He's an explorer. Look at him. There he is in front of the map. His production crew. And there's, his, there's his boat. It's made out of like plastic bottles or something. The plastiki. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. So this is the guy that's going to take over. And when you look at the dates, you you can see that they mean something. Again, you can you can spin it any way you want, but you see the the real rise of the Rothschild family in the late 19th century and early 20th century, thanks to Baron de Rothschild, born November 8th. Evelyn de Rothschild, next to his brother Nathan, the two most powerful, dies on November 8th. So what does that mean? It means that the fiat system, everything that was set up by the Rothschilds, and by the way, when you look at this world around you, you're basically living in the Rothschild's world. Even if you, um, like, I'm renting this house, right? I didn't didn't build this house. I didn't buy this house. But somebody had to buy the house. Then they had to take out a bank loan, right? Theoretically, which is based on interest which is based on the fiat system, which is based on what the Rothschilds instituted. We're all connected to the Federal Reserve. And so when we look at how the world has been financed, particularly in the West, maybe not so much in Islamic countries, it is the Rothschild system. So their, their economic fingerprints are everywhere. This is their world. And I'm not doing this from a defeatist perspective i'm just stating the facts if you were a rothschild you would look around and you would say ours 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 even if it was indirect to be you know part of the process that they had instituted so with the death of evelyn the rothschild and coming we're really looking at the end of their fiat money system that's what this is about it is a symbolic passing of the fiat money system because it won't work anymore. They're, they've they've leveraged it out beyond the point where they've like negatively leveraged the fiat money system. So what do they have to come up with? Well, they've already come up with it. It's it's the carbon, it's the carbon economy. And who's behind it? It's the same people that set up fractional reserve lending. It's just another scam. 
And who's the person that's going to be running it? Well, it's going to be another Rothschild. And it's this guy right here. He's the guy that is going to lead the green economy. He's been born, bred, raised to lead the green economy. Right? This is the guy. Now, who knows? Maybe somewhere along the way, he has a moment of conscience. Uh, his astrology kicks in or whatever. Or maybe he knows that this is exactly what his role is. Maybe he knows exactly what his role is. By the way, he'd make a good candidate for the Antichrist, wouldn't he? Good-looking guy. Looking a little intellectual there. Look, he's got a tree. Is that the tree? Tree of life. I think it's a tree on his arm. He's a Virgo. Um, when's his birthday? August 25th. Uh, 1978, so he's 44. Uh, he is a Gen Xer. Gen X, he's one of your own. David Rothschild, astrological chart. Let's see what we got. This is what this is all about. It is the end of the fractional reserve economy. Guy de Rothschild. Uh, let's see. Let's see what this one has to say. And it is really the birth of the green carbon-based economy. Uh, time unknown. Do we have a chart? Home forecast, birth data. Yeah, there's nothing in here. We'll take a look at this chart on... Is it on the Astro theme? Let's see. No. Mm -mm. Guy de Rothschild, Jacob Rothschild. Here we go. Can David Meyer save the earth? David versus Goliath. How David Meyer de Rothschild plans on saving the world. Here he is. This is the son of Evelyn de Rothschild. He's the guy that is going to be the champion of the carbon net zero economy. And this is exactly what these two numbers represent. The absolute birth of money power from Baron de Rothschild born on November 8th and the death of Evelyn Rothschild on November 8th on the eclipse. It is the perfect bookend for that cycle. This is done. Is done. And it just so happens that his son, David de Rothschild, is just sitting there, just waiting, waiting, because over the last 15, 20 years, he has been putting his very light carbon footprint into the Green Planet story. So get ready for the, uh, the new economy. And the new Rothschild, who is going to be out front uh, leading the new economic charge. To me, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. And you can spin it any way you want. You can say he's not dead. 
he's somewhere else he's doing lines of adrenochrome um in a secret tunnel somewhere with queen elizabeth and reptilian form whatever you know maybe that's true or maybe he was really arrested and um, has been beheaded at Gitmo, and we don't know about it. I mean, there's so many subplots, all this shit. I'm just looking at these cycles, my version of cycles, right? And then who do you have lined up next? It's David the Rothschild and the green economy, carbon net zero. All right, I think that's about all I have for today, even though we got a bit of a late start. Doesn't mean we have to go all the way to the finish line. Um, but we're close enough and I'm not sure if I have anything more to say today. So we'll be back tomorrow for another rousing edition of 15 minutes of flame. And we'll have more information on the elections, I guess. I mean, honestly, you know, it was interesting because I want everybody to get together and sometimes weird, weird shit happens on election night and, you know, being a part of it with other people can be um, interesting and fun. And and it was kind of rather uninteresting. The most interesting part about last night were the people that were hanging out and getting to see them and their stories, which I thought was great. Um, but we'll we'll follow up with some more election stuff tomorrow. And then Friday, of course, we'll be uh, we'll be at uh, True Hemp Science. I don't know if I have anybody lined up as a guest. Maybe Chris will be my guest. Maybe we'll have people come in the shop. If you're in the Austin area and you want to show up, go to True Hemp Science and we start broadcasting at 12 noon. And I'll be there before then um, setting everything up and come on the show, hang out with us. Uh, it'll be like the old days, you know, when they would do these, these uh, shows down at the at the car dealership. Remember those? They would have a guy at the car dealership doing a live show and they'd be playing a movie. They did that all over the United States. So it'll be our version of that down at True Ham Science. Right now we got a bottle of number 33. This bottle of 33. Take care of everything you need. And if you get it now, within the next 30 minutes, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get 15% off. And if you get an order of $100 or more, you're going to get free product. And not only that, but you'll get the undercoat warranty for free. That's right, for free. That undercoat warranty is such an important piece of your car. You don't want your car. Oh, I'm sorry. We're selling CBD here. We don't want your CBD, your, your gut to get rusted. Anyway, you know, that's how it goes. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Love to each and every one of you. Um, I've, I'm grateful that we can do this show here on my website every day, other than having to worry about YouTube, you know, and I, sometimes I look at the numbers that people get on YouTube and I get stats here and they're good. They're not great. They're good. It's, it's solid. It's, um, uh, loyal, which I appreciate, right? So every now and then, part of me is like, eh, man, if you did this show on YouTube, you would get all kinds of views. And But, you know, at the end of the day, I'd much rather be with 
800 to 1,000, you know, loyal people where I can say pretty much whatever I want to say. I mean, I can say whatever I want to say here. It doesn't really matter, right? But there are things, you know, like I don't get, I don't get a big kick out of using verboten words or language. Like, it's like, it's like not a big na-na for me, but ideas, that's something different. And we can talk about whatever ideas we want here. And even if they're considered sacrilegious, which I value more than views. So thank you for supporting um, the show just by your watching and your participation. Of course, if you're a member, thank you for that. We got a new newsletter coming out. Um, that'll be on the 22nd of the month and, uh, more goodies on the way. All right. Take care. Use your head in order to show what's real. Your heart to stay open to what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix and, uh, bye for now.